Motivity people, thank you so much for tuning back into the podcast. And if this is your first time, the views, opinions, and information expressed on this podcast are solely intended just to educate you and inform you. And it's all based on Danielle's and her guests' opinions, research, and experience. This podcast absolutely does not constitute financial or investment advice, and the hosts are certainly not financial advisors, brokers, or dealers, because, well, you just have to trust us on that one. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Motivity Podcast with Danielle. This is Danielle with the Motivity Podcast. First of all, thank you for listening. I come out with new episodes every Tuesday morning. We are talking all things information technology, breaking down the conversation, helping you understand what you're truly buying and what it's like to work at these companies and where did these salespeople ultimately come from and where are they in the industry today? Up next, we have Jamie Ellis from Cribble. A little bit about Cribble and why is it so important to have clean data, right? And what happens when you have a bunch of null data and how does that really affect the panes of glass that your security team is looking at or the information that you're looking at and how is that all effective? So Jamie's here to talk about how to save costs, what you truly need to understand about the product, how to buy the product, and we're going to simply talk about it. So Jamie, take it away. Thanks for having me on, Danielle. Yeah. So Jamie and I worked together at Cisco for, um, what, about two years so I had the honor uh, of working with Jamie. Um, and Jamie's background is quite extensive. She comes um, from, you know, a homegrown kind of establishment inside of Cisco that not everyone is familiar with, something that was um, presented at an entry level into getting to work at this company, which we'll explain. She comes from like a technical background and then had the ability to pivot into sales, which is really exciting. Um, and then Nan, and then we are going to talk about her current work at Cribble and what they're doing in the data environment, what they're doing from a visibility standpoint, and what kind of problems they're solving. So, Jamie, let's talk about, you know, after college, what are we going to do with Jamie's life? Where does she go? Where does she begin? And how does she end up at this homegrown? And I use the word homegrown because my understanding of, you know, this entry level um, organization that we have at Cisco, it, it came from an inside um, strategy of how to get you know younger talent into Cisco. So just kind of tell us you know how you started and where we are today. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Thanks for taking an interest. Of course. Um, so yeah, like Danielle said, I'm Jamie Ellis, and I really um, didn't have a technical background from my education, and kind of stumbled into Cisco like eight years ago now, and. Um, really, they taught me everything I knew. So Cisco's a really, for those of you who don't know, they have a really robust set of training and development programs, not just for people who are early in their careers, but also for people looking to make career transitions for people who are um, war veterans. So it, it's a really great HR environment in that company. And I was lucky to go through a program where they were willing to invest a lot of training and certificate programs and ended up becoming a data center specialist. And at Cisco, when you say yeah. like data center specialist, that kind of means at the time it meant selling a lot of hardware, like servers that run applications in, and networking equipment that connects the sort of heartbeat of the organization to all of its lines of businesses. Nowadays, that portfolio has evolved to mean a lot of software, um, like App Dynamics and uh, Tetration, all of these, Turbonomic, all these softwares that Cisco's come out with to help monitor environments and help keep a pulse on what's going on on that hardware. Um, so that kind of has become, 
you know, a bit of part of my transition, which we'll touch on in a little bit. And Jamie, how did you even find out about this homegrown? And it actually is called the CSAP program. How did you even find out about it, right? Like, who told you about it? Was it a friend? Um, you know, was it a, a coworker working at a restaurant? You know, what was that little piece of information that was like, oh, wait, maybe I should go talk to Cisco? Yeah, the Cisco Sales Associate Program happened to be like number nine on a list that I Googled of top 10 internships in Boston. So I really didn't know anything about wow. tech. I never heard of the company. Um, and just, you know, I, I had a PR degree and didn't really want to go into that. So I was looking for a way to pivot and this came up on a list <laughs> and, you know, they really didn't call me back at first, even like I ended up getting the job a couple of weeks before the internship started. So I think maybe someone backed out at the last minute and I almost didn't, I had committed to another internship at the time. I almost turned it down, but you know, fate has its funny way of steering you to where you have to be. Definitely. Definitely. And, and you know, we know you're not working at Cisco anymore. You know, any advice for someone starting out in career, you know, and that want to work at Cisco? Like, you know, anything you could tell them about um, about this company? You know, we did. We are the number one place to work for. We've gotten that award. But working here and reading that are two different things. Right. So help us understand what is it like to work at Cisco? And especially maybe even just touch upon your experience as a as a software. I'm, I'm sorry, as a um, a seller. Uh, in technology, right? So you're a sales um, engineer, right? So you don't have like a sales account manager or sales engineers. You're responsible for selling, you know, the technology and specifically focusing on what the technology does. But, you know, help us understand that a little bit. Yeah, I think, um, well, I wasn't a sales engineer. I was a, a data center specialist and the distinction's slight but important um, because I only have a PR degree. Um, I would say for anyone wanting to get into technology, you know, there's a little bit of something out here for everyone, which I don't think I really knew. My parents were school teachers. Like I just, I thought you had to be a coder to be in tech pretty much. Right. Um, but it's not like that. You know, Cisco is a great place to work. It's huge and it can be a little easy to get lost in the mix. Then you look at companies, you know, that are even bigger. You look at the Comcasts of the world that are hundreds of thousands of people and have really robust IT orgs. So whether you're on the sales side, whether you're on the engineering side, um, you know, I would just say, you know, keep an open mind and, and reach out to people, network with people, because, you know, that's the best way to get an idea of what would work for you. I learned so much in like the almost decade I spent at Cisco. Um, and now I'm finding I'm learning so much at Cribble. And it's even though it's kind of the same job, right? Like tech sales, tech sales. Um, it, you know, I went from being uh, one of 70,000 employees to being one of not even 200 employees. So, you know, depending on what you're looking for, there's probably something in the tech industry for you, whether it's soft skills, hard skills, big company, small company. Uh, and it's just worth reaching out to people and asking them like, hey, what's up? You know, what, what's the tech world like? Generally speaking, people in tech are super, super friendly. Yeah, friendly. They're dynamic. They're, they want to learn. They want to understand more. Um, so you're right. There's a lot of personality traits that you never know that your personality could fit into the tech world. You just don't have to be, you know, a coder, like she said, right? You're, you're not always stuck behind a computer. They need people to articulate and sell the technology. That takes a skill. Uh, but being at Cisco for so long, you pivot, you know, into more of the startup community. What was the need? What was the interest level there? How did that um, how did that develop for you? Like, what did you see coming from handling these large enterprise accounts that you felt like, hey, this space is for me, right? Uh, 
you know, walk us through that because everyone wants to make a career change. You made a, a very big one. You went from a big company, one of the big tech firms to, you know, very pretty much small startup. So why did you do that? <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, we talked a bit about my data center background and then I pivoted where I joined your team, Danielle, and, and became an account manager. And, you know, I got to witness a pretty big uh, incident at a, a customer that, you know, went through a cybersecurity attack. And we were really on the front lines of restoring their operations and kind of helping them investigate and triage what was going on. And I walked away with two revelations. One was, wow, you know, this IT space that Cisco's in is is huge. We're selling a little bit of everything. And really where I see the future for Cisco and for a lot of these companies, the future spend, at least for the short term, is in this security space. And, you know, learning how to get a handle on our IT assets the way we once had to have a handle on the security of our brick and mortar physical assets. Um, so I came away with a major impression for cybersecurity. And also that I kind of missed being that close to the technology, right? Like I went from being in this account management role to like really every day being on these calls about like security in the weeds. And it made me miss, you know, even just like the technical expertise of being a data center specialist isn't super, super deep. But, you know, we were there was a deeper understanding of the technology and more focus. So, you know, I decided that having this huge portfolio wasn't like key to my growth right this second. And I wanted to focus on just like really one thing. Right. And I started kind of looking for like, what would that one thing maybe be? And at first, I mean, I went through probably, I don't know, 30 companies worth of interviews before Wow. I mean, on Cribble. Yeah. Yeah. How did you have time for 30 interviews? It was, Where you... <laughs> it was so hard. They say finding a job is like a job. I think maybe finding a job is harder than a job. I think so too. And, and, you know, I think we should bring up the fact, what was the impression coming from Cisco? What was the startup community, you know, giving you feedback, having this resume that was quite extensive. You touched many pillars with inside of, um, of technology, many pillars of technology and, how did they feel, you know, whether that would benefit a startup or would it hurt a startup? Yeah, you know, I don't think it, it could hurt a startup, but there was definitely hesitance in the market about my background. Like I I was I am super proud of my Cisco work and, you know, to get out into the startup world and people be like seven years at Cisco is a lifetime at Legacy. Like, I don't know if you'd have the skills to cut it here was humbling. Uh, and, you know, I think everybody has to form their own opinion about what it takes to be a salesperson. I don't know if any one resume points to the heart of a good salesperson, right? It's a set of personality traits. It's a set of characteristics. Um, and it's hard to glean that off of a sheet of paper that says you worked somewhere for X amount of time. But there was definitely hesitancy about just Cisco background not being a space where you have to work very hard for the sale because it's true that everybody does know Cisco and, you know, you're hard pressed not to take a call from Cisco because it's a company that's in everybody's environment and it's a big part of everybody's environment. So, you know, I, I think I had to maybe go through some extra hoops to prove myself, but at the end of the day, Danielle, we are sellers, right? So I didn't mind going through the process and selling myself a bit. And having that background, do you feel like it's benefiting you now? I do. Um, you know, what I do now is, is IT related, IT derivative. You know, we're going to talk about Cribble a little more in depth, I know. Yep. But in a nutshell, like 
data is kind of becoming the new like cloud word, right? Like what, what does data even mean when people say it now? And I think like at a minimum, you have to break up data into two lanes. There's business intelligence data, BI data, like what demographic is Jamie Ellis? She's a semi-affluent young white woman in Philadelphia, right? That's kind of usually comes in more structured with like very normal inputs. Like this is her phone number. This is her email address. Then you've got IT data, um, which is really almost what you think of as metadata, right? It's data about the data. It's telemetry about these systems that run all that business intelligence data. It's data telling you how it's performing, if there's a breach, how many people are accessing certain networks. And, and that's where we play now. That's also where Cisco's always played. So it's really helpful coming to the space and having to learn data, right? But learning the piece that was connected to my last step, not this business intelligence step that's maybe, uh, you know, a couple hops away from what I used to be doing. So your need for solving problems is key. You went through, you know, the security breach from a very large corporation, saw the need that there has to be more that you can do because we're missing, you know, people are missing one piece of this. And it sounds like it's more of what's in the data, not just the basic data, but this this next level of metadata, right? What does the data do? What is it acting? How is it behaving? So we, we end up at Crib, Cribble. You know, tell us what Cribble does high level. If you're talking to a client, help them understand how they can benefit from taking a meeting with you, Jamie, just talking with you. What can they understand? Or maybe even what can they think about if they're gonna meet with you the first time? Because for me, you know, I wouldn't know where to begin. Um, articulate where we should start and then uh, help everyone listening. Yeah, no, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Um, you know, before I even say what Cribble is, I'll sort of like start from the beginning of why we're even here. Yeah. Because this world was a little new to me. Like I had sold, our founders come from Splunk. And, Which we all know. <laughs> you know, I'm, yeah, it's interesting you say that, Danielle. Like I knew Splunk, but I don't know if I like knew Splunk, right? Like I knew it was a data platform of some kind. It's It's hot in its market, I knew. I sold some Cisco infrastructure that would run Splunk, but you know, I didn't necessarily like understand the depths of what it does. So Splunk I was going to say that we know the word Splunk. Yeah, I don't know what it does. Right. I just know that we have interoperability with it or they have it and we need to work with it. Okay. But to that point, yes, I think we know the word and it's a, it, it is a, it's a word like an NFT word. I mean, I think it's, it's a hot new company and a hot new word. So exactly. exactly. Yeah. Splunk yeah. is a log aggregator mm -hmm. and there are other log aggregators in the space, elastic, Q radar, log rhythm. And you might want to log, you might want to aggregate your logs for a handful of reasons. Like the most common one is security. Okay. And that's where you'll hear the tool word SIM come up a lot. Security information event management system. Splunk, you could consider a sim. It's it's a little bit more than that. It's a little bit less than that in some ways too. Um, but all, you know, UBA is another thing you'll hear a lot. I think that's user behavioral analytics. Um, but these are just basically different ways of saying we're going to collect logs from our IT systems to help us monitor performance and security of those IT systems. And it basically just becomes this dumping ground of logs. So, you know, a log might have information about times that an application was accessed, how long that 
you know, ran, how um, many logins it had. You might see some, like a, a very common um, security trigger that people are trying to glean from their data is if you see like an incredible number of logins from Danielle Hirschman's login and it's showing up all over the globe in 40 seconds, you know that's probably an automated attack of some type because there's no way Danielle's logging in in Philadelphia and then logging in in California in the same minute. So, um, you know, you need to be able to parse data to kind of flag different patterns and different pieces of information that are valuable. And that's why. And Jane, we, yeah, is that what Splunk does, though? Does Splunk tell you that, hey, Danielle Hirschman just logged in 40 times, right? Is it, is it bringing Great up a question. pin? Like, yeah. yeah. Is that what exactly. is? Okay. Splunk makes it possible for you to ask a question like that. Think of Splunk as, as, um, the Library of Congress, right? And okay. you are coming in with a history report. Like, it doesn't necessarily hand you back a history report or hand you back the information about, you know, the Tulsa massacre that you're looking for, but it has the information in there. If you have the ability and the skill and, the, in, and enough information about the system of organization to basically query the library and find that info. And you just you mentioned something very key: the skills. What is what 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 does a, an employee have have to have a background in, right, to understand how to use a software like Splunk? If if you could articulate that a little bit, or even anything else in that space, because I think I think that's a key piece. I think a lot of companies buy technology, but who is actually going to manage the technology is a whole other um, operational. Question. So if there's anything high level that you could give about maybe the skill set, that might be interesting, especially when you're going down this path of security. At this stage in the world, Splunk is not necessarily a hot new technology. It's been around for like a decade and pretty much anyone managing Splunk is just straight up Splunk certified. And those are the people. Oh, who wow. OK. I didn't even now, know there was a certain. You bring up an interesting question, though, Danielle, like what skills does that take? Yeah. You know, you'll learn foundational Splunk skills in that environment, but you know, the skills that any job takes are ever changing based on like the challenges that an organization's facing. And I think that's where Splunk admin and owners of Splunk, and not just Splunk, this is true again of all of these log aggregation platforms, they're starting to realize there's a couple things that that these aggregators can't do. So you pump all your data into one space and you query it when you need it. But some of these logs just have a bunch of junk in them, right? Like null fields. Think about when you fill out a form and you just skip an input. We, From a data perspective, we still log that. So when you're processing an event through something like Splunk, you're using licenses. You're using CPU cycles to actually process it. You're using storage to store it. Um, and that adds up, right? That's what IT expenses look like. That's how you come up with cost and that's how you become a cost center, right? So one of the things that Splunk, you know, traditionally said when they went to market is Splunk everything. But after a while, you're dumping so much in your lake that you're like, wow, everything's actually a lot. If your company's been doing this for a decade since Splunk hit the market, you know, we're talking about petabytes of IT data. This is not even business intelligence data that, you know, marketing's using to do revenue generating programs. This is IT data that for the most part, you're just keeping in case you get audited or you get hacked, right? So um, basically 
one of the optimizations that people managing a, an environment like that, managing log aggregation systems need to manually take care of is trying to reduce the noise in your environment. Splunk used to say Splunk everything. We say don't Splunk your junk. That is like a null field or um, Windows event logs have a lot of overhead. Firewall logs, Palo Alto has notoriously noisy firewall logs. So how do you skinny that down to save IT dollars and make it sustainable to, to you know, open up capacity for other high value data volumes that maybe you couldn't fit into your original cost model. Now, JB, who would be looking at those logs to know that there's no fields or who, you know, inside the organization, maybe if they're tasked with saving X dollars, right? How would they even think to be like, oh, let me look at the logs, the data to see what information I could save there. How do you how do you bring that all together? <laughs> I mean, today, most people don't do it. Most people just spunk, spunk it all. And the problem is if you, if you, and I'll stop saying spunk because again, I'm not picking on them. It's log aggregation. It's okay. You, you could pick on them. So if you <laughs> aggregate all of the logs in column A and half of the logs in column B and you're out of space for column C, but column C actually had all the hacked IP addresses, then you've been processing the wrong thing. But maybe your Splunk license is only 300 gigs and column A was 150 gigs and column B was 150 gigs. So you just didn't have room. If we can parse column A before you spend it, send it to your expensive infrastructure and say, okay, we're going to shrink it down to 30%. Now you have room for that stuff that you didn't capture in column B and column C. So what's happening, Danielle, is a lot of them are just saying, okay, you know, Splunk what everything we can as much as we can. And then they hit a wall where they don't have enough capacity and stuff just goes unnoticed. And that's where you get vulnerabilities. That's where you end up with exposure um, and potential to really be in a, in a tricky cybersecurity incident. So talk to me about then where does Cribble come in? Because to me, if I'm sitting here and I'm listening to this conversation and I've been tasked with saving money in my head right away, I'm like, let me go get those logs. I want to see if this is actually true, right? I'm going to vet what Jamie just told me. And if this is possible, then this company, you know, this is a game changer, right? Totally. So talk to and me you, through that. You should vet me. People listening to this should totally go on our website and download our free software and run it and see if it reduces your log volumes. It's that easy. And what kind of logs does it read? Which we could get to in a second and we will. But first, you know, go to the first part, right? Tell me what Gribble is doing with the data. How does it do that? How does it run? Walk me Perfect. through that a little bit. Yeah. So great. Honestly, your questions go hand in hand. The type of data we read is <laughs> IT and security data that okay. your existing agents generate. So like we a, do, any, not, you do not have to use our agents. Okay. Um, to give you some examples, that'll ring a bell probably. Cisco's own AppDynamics or Umbrella could both stream into um Cribble's log stream is what our product's called. Firewalls of any kind can pipe into our platform. Um, Syslog, which is, you know, something we understand natively, a really typical protocol for monitoring network platforms. Um, we can pull from Syslog and ingest all of that information. Splunk, Elastic, Logarithm, all of those that we talked about before. We can work agnostically with third data generating agents. So if a customer already deployed Splunk, we're not going to come and ask them to deploy you know, another agent on top of all that data collection. We're going to say, okay, great. Use those forwarders, point directly to us. 
Right. And let us skinny that down. You want to point the data to you first, let you guys vet the data or, you know, take out the nulls, right? Or the non-existence, but that you don't need to keep to really compress the data. So you're actually looking at complete data instead of uh, information that's really not required or not needed. Exactly. Is that, a, is that a, an, an easy way to kind of put a bow on it? Um, and in exactly. doing that, what, you know, you're saying a client could run a proof of concept. You know, how do they get that? How would they access that? What does that look like? How long it should run? You know, what what should they see from that output? Kind of help us understand. Yeah. So um, the proof of concept, honestly, you know, if you want to run a POC, engage your Cribble rep for sure. But for you know customers that aren't terribly terribly big, you don't. It's not even a POC. You can use our full software, completely free forever. Um, up to a certain amount of terabytes uh, per day. I'm like, wait a minute, pretty, everyone's going to go. a pretty generous number of terabytes per day. So customers should definitely check that out. Yeah. Um, I think what you hit on is great. Like we become that central ingest point, right? Yeah. And a customer night might not just be using Splunk. They might be using Splunk and Logarithm and Syslog and Umbrella, right? And that's where this becomes valuable because if you're running one pipeline that pushes data from Umbrella to secure X and another that pumps Splunk to Splunk and maybe another that pumps Elastic to Splunk and another that maybe pumps Splunk to Amazon cheap storage, you actually get this like spaghetti map of pipelines to manage and it's very complex. What we're saying is point everything to Logstream. And once we have it all, we become that pre-processing layer that re creates the reduction you talked about. On average, we see 40 to 60% log reduction. But like I have a customer that was using it on some VMware logs that we're getting 90% reduction out of. So wow, you know, it totally depends on the environment. And what Jamie's talking about, like kind of these firewalls or umbrella, these are all security products or software within an, an environment, any kind of enterprise, right? That That controls the network and doesn't allow points in or points out. So, you know, try to make it, easy so visually you can, people can understand. Um, Jamie, just kind of talking through how many think, how many products, you know, would you say that you should point to Cribble and, you know, to get, to get the visibility down? Like, you know, should, should you use a use case of four products just to see what it could do? Do you use a use case of eight products? I mean, are you saying it's just kind of endless? You know, it's how so, could, you know, it just depends on what, what your IT teams have deployed, right? I would say point all your data generating agents to Cribble. Um, but like how for some customers, maybe that's one. For other customers, maybe that's a dozen. And it can really vary. The other thing is, you know, we've talked so far about becoming that centralizing point and reducing the data. Yep. And I want to make an important distinction. We're not competing with these log aggregators. We're not holding on to the data. We reduce right. it in flight as we stream it to its destination. You're a pass-through. Exactly. We're a yeah. pass-through. Um, but we can do a lot once that data is coming through us as a pass-through. So it's not just reduction. You're kind of like the changing room. Yes. You get all exactly. the clothes that you think you want to buy, bring them into exactly. the changing room, narrow it down, and then bring it to the register. That's so you're so kind of well the changing room. Right. You're just that's all so the clothes. Well right. And then you narrow it down and then you buy what you want to buy. That's the kind of idea because you still have to store that data. Remember, there's still an end result after it goes through a log aggregator. You still have another step. You put that coat right. in the closet. Correct. Right. 
That's spot on, Danielle. And I love that analogy because the same way that, you know, one person comes in and maybe they're a size eight and another person comes in and maybe they're a size six, um, you know, we can pre-process that data for wherever it's going. So we don't have to send just Splunk to Splunk. Once you're pointing Splunk into us, we can automatically do that reformatting. And there is reformatting. Like a good example is something as simple as a timestamp. Splunk logs versus Elastic logs versus logarithm logs, like one org, one of those systems might represent a timestamp numerically. Another one might write the month. Another one might abbreviate the name of the month, right? And it's going to create problems when you're trying to move data from one platform to another if those things aren't normalized. So we don't just become the reduction center. We become the normalizing center for your data. And out of the box, we're configured to pre-process that data and reformat it for its new destination, non-proprietary destination. Jamie, who's your competition? There's really, it's a new market, so there's not a lot of competition. Splunk tried to spin up a product called DSP that hasn't had a ton of success, but it did some of these functions A lot of people in more sophisticated IT shops, you'll see um, kind of build your own solutions based on Kafka and something called Apache NiFi. And then the most recent kind of player on the scene is a company that was acquired by Datadog called Vector. But candidly, Kribble's pretty much started the market. Um, You know, we're trying to establish observability as its own sector of IT. We were actually announced as one of Gartner's cool vendors today for 2021. So well I think you're cool. First of all you have the best <laughs> name. And <laughs> I mean just listening to it, it, it makes sense. I think so and to Jamie's point where she started out, IT is not confusing. It doesn't have to be confusing. It's easy to articulate and understand. It just takes a little bit of time. And as you can see, this is relatable. This is a situation that probably every company is sitting in right now. Um, I can't even imagine, like, and I think, at, and we go back to this retail side, I couldn't even imagine how many different types of logs retail has and what you could really do in that uh, world to, you know, even on the side of ordering and processes and, and information flow to, and you said it before, right, to actually have a clear, concise um, viewpoint of logs, like just that, the month, the day, the ordering time. I mean, just there, I think is very powerful, but that, that's yeah, me, you know, sitting here and thinking about We don't do business intelligence data, but to your point, you like, should. did this store go offline? Did that pull down POS systems? You know, I, I covered retail for a while and we had stores that like a router went down and pulled down POS systems for, you know, a couple hours a day for like 60 days straight. Okay, well, you know, when you're troubleshooting that and you're trying to see if it's the same version of code running on that router as it is running at the other 60 stores that are coming down to see if you've you've found the root cause, you know, how do you how do you parse that data? And that's really, you know, where we become business relevant in a space like that. Uh, Jamie, you know, talk about like an MSA or pricing or how how does someone even buy Cribble? Um, you know, I, I know in my world from Cisco, we purchase new partners and they have to have this master service agreement. You know, is it easy to work with Cribble, you know, or is there stuff that a client needs to understand and learn when they meet with you? So kind of take it in two parts. 
Yeah, we're all software based. Um, right. You can run that software on your own premises in your own data center, or you could run that software via our SaaS platform. Um, but you know, it's all software based, so there's no lead times or things like that to try and work through. Um, well, you, can buy you, <laughs> you can buy directly through Cribble. We prefer to work through partners. Um, you know, we love the channel ecosystem and. As you can kind of tell from our conversation today, there's a lot of other technologies that integrate to make our story whole. You know, we want to touch the Palo firewalls and the Splunk environment and the Snowflake data lake they pipe out to and the AWS environment they pipe out to and any of the apps running in Azure and the 0365 logs, right? So it's really nice to have a partner in that environment because they can really help customers walk through like, okay, are we pointing everything of value to this engine? Are you really getting the optimal data? And who are some of your partners? We work in with this- some players, you know, that you'll probably recognize. WWT, um, NTT, Optive, GuidePoint's huge for us, Blackwood's huge for us. CDI, um, which is a, a company that acquired a bunch of partners recently. But I think if you double clicked into them, you'd recognize them. So our channel is growing every day. Okay. You know, we've had a big pop of interest ever since our Series C funding announcement about a month ago. So it's been a wild ride. But, um, you know, I think I think having a partner involved really goes a long way because of all the integrations we spoke about. Yeah. And, and you know, to the partner community, they're they're in the they're in the marketplace taking the technology and reselling it, but ultimately it is a shared sale, right? So you are both going in, you're both talking about the technology. Ultimately, someone is owning the strategy, but they're bringing in key technologies that they think that that customer would benefit from, right? So it is it is fun. I enjoy selling through partners as well. I mean, I get to meet more people, but to that point, you know, it it does help because they, they know what they're trying to solve for and, and these problems are getting bigger. These security problems and data breaches are getting bigger and they're harder to solve. Like Jane was saying, if there is an outage and trying to figure out that outage, pinpointing that outage is very difficult. So the more information you could give, the more visibility, you know, hopefully in the, at the end of the day, it, it, it helps them. Right. And it protects them. Said, Danielle jumps out so big, like the more information you can get have at your fingertips in a time of crisis. Right. So valuable. And I know today we talked a lot about like reducing data, um, but that's a, it's valuable because you're reading through less noise, right? You're getting to the important data. But one of the other things we do is enrich data in flight too. So we could pull in like um, IP lookup tables that help you correlate IP addresses to actual geographies. And we can pull in third party threat databases that have been published publicly and really kind of enrich this data. And in real life, right, you don't want to keep a year's worth of data in your Splunk environment ready for any incident anytime. That's very expensive to do. You probably want to enrich this data and store it in a full fidelity copy somewhere cheap like Amazon. But now if ever you are in an incident and you have to pull it back for like, a year's worth of data or two years worth of data, that data, because it was enriched before it went cold is query ready. So like, I didn't really understand until like we got into this world, SOC analysts have to do a lot to really like get, get valuable information. Like a a log only tells you information about the system at hand. You then have to correlate that data with the information about 
cybersecurity that you know, right? And the marrying of that knowledge can be really, really fast-tracked if you're doing some sort of enrichment or like masking. We can encrypt personal information in flight before you go and store it. That's like a very proactive security measure you can easily take on your data. But I don't know that that's really happening in an automated fashion today as it should be for best practice, you know? Right. And remember, Spunk or whoever, are they telling the customer what, you know, how you can clean your data before it gets to them? Like, I don't, keep in mind, who's ever listening, it's really up to Jamie to, or Jamie and the the likes of, of anyone working at Cribble to inform the customer listening of what the technology can do and how to benefit you. These other companies are not gonna tell you this. So it's so true. You heard it here first. (laughs) I won't say who, but we were working with like a manager provider provider who handles log aggregation for one of our customers. And we approached the service provider first in partnership. And they basically told us to take a hike. And then we approached the customer and they were like, oh, this is great. I can't believe our service provider didn't recommend this to us. They're going to be so excited about this technology. And I was like, yeah, we'll, we'll see how yeah. excited. <laughs> Jamie, is there anything you want to add as we finish up here? No, just thanks for having me. And, you know, to the audience listening, um, I, there's a lot of cool technologies out and Motivity is the place to learn about them. So keep tuning in and feel free to reach out to me about anything from a cripple perspective, customer, uh, technophile alike. Yeah, Jamie's a great resource. Uh, you could find her on LinkedIn and you could find the information on our website at martivity.co. This is Danielle, and uh, I want you to have an awesome day. Thanks for learning about data. Woo. Yay! <laughs> <laughs>